This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. At SoundsTrue.com, you can find hundreds of downloadable audio learning programs, plus books, music, videos, and online courses and events. At SoundsTrue.com, we think of ourselves as a trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today my guest is Chandresh Bardwaj. Chandresh is a seventh-generation lineage holder from a family of Indian gurus practicing the tantric tradition. He is an internationally acclaimed speaker, having conducted talks in many countries, including Sweden, the Netherlands, France, Switzerland, Hong Kong, India, Belgium, Canada, and in the United States. He's the founder of the Break the Norms movement, with locations in New York, Los Angeles, New Delhi, and Amsterdam. With Sounds True, Chandresh has written the book, Break the Norms, questioning everything you think you know about God and truth, life and death, love and sex. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Chandresh and I spoke about what norms he inherited from his family line that he felt he needed to break, and the most difficult part of his journey when it came to following his own inner path when it clashed with society's expectations of him. We also talked about the tantric approach to spirituality and what a tantric way would be to work with anger and also greed and ambition such that nothing is suppressed and the underlying energy is transformed into a force for good. We talked about the important role of questions on the spiritual path and examples of powerful questions worth asking. Finally, Chandresh shared his understanding of death and how this understanding has changed him. Here's my conversation on Breaking the Norms with Chandresh Bardwaj. Chandresh, I know that you come from a multi-generational family of traditional Indian gurus. And here at the beginning of our conversation, I'd love to know what about coming from your family did you feel inspired you to quote-unquote break the norms? And what of your family tradition are you carrying forward? Are you bringing forward without breaking any norms? I think that's such a such a important and beautiful question. Uh, I I feel what inspired me greatly in you know, growing up in India. Uh, you know, I was surrounded by not only my own family, you know, which is spiritual, but also I have seen so many other spiritual masters. And what I witnessed in my father, in my grandfather, in my own family culture was the honest. Uh, authentic spirituality, the the honest effort to serve people. And that was something, it really inspired me, it really moved me. And I've seen my father sacrificing a lot of other stuff just to serve people. And I remember when I told him, this is what I want to do. 
and I thought he would be very excited, very happy, and he would welcome me. Uh, but he told me, what you're doing right now, which is Wall Street, that's fun. It's going to give you name, fame, glamour, uh, money, uh, all that stuff, uh, and which is fun. Go for it. But if you want to come into this spiritual path, you want to serve people, then you have to forget uh, that you have your own life because then you're serving people. You are public servant. The guru, the teacher, is not above the people. They are, you know, they are. They exist to serve the people. And he said, you know, think twice, think ten times because once you get in. You have to be selfless. You have to serve them. You cannot be annoyed if people call you at 2 a.m. You cannot be, uh, you know, angry if they, you know, keep telling you same story every single day. You have to just listen to them selflessly, and you got to serve them. That's one thing. It inspired me. It shifted my whole perspective toward this path, and that's something, Tammy. I make a very honest and consistent effort to take forward. I do not want to break any norm there. Uh, and I want to take it forward exactly as it is. The honesty, the efforts, the consistency that they have in their work, that's what I hope to maintain. And your uh, the other question was, uh, what's the norm that I have been trying to break, right? Yes. Uh, I feel... Uh, I've seen that, uh, you know, my gra- grandfather had a certain vision of spirituality. He, uh, by the way, he was my grandpa's brother, but we always called him grandpa, and he never got married. He's, he remained, uh, you know, a monk all his life, and he's one of those, uh, he's typical uh, Indian gurus that people read about, you know, in books. Uh, and he lived in temples. Uh, he would, you know, sleep only for three hours. He would, uh, he wouldn't come out in public very often. Once in ten days, he'll come out, and people would line up to see him. But my father broke that norm. He got married. You know, he had a family, uh, and uh, he 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 took that work out in public, and he he expanded the work to to a lot of people in Indian community. And I broke that norm further that I took that work to even more mainstream crowd. I, I have, you know, given lectures in, in U.S., Canada, Hong Kong, India, uh, Amsterdam. So my approach, uh, when I saw him and I saw my grandfather's work, so I decided that I'm going to take this work even more global. And that's where I want to break the norm. And another thing I wanted to break was, when people approach my father, they approach with a certain perspective that he is a spiritual guru. So, uh, do we have to wear a diff- you know a certain kind of clothes? Do we have to behave in a certain way? Do we have to stop eating something because he is a guru? You know, maybe we need to be qualified to to you know uh, to be his student. Uh, I want to break that norm in a sense that I want to be a teacher of everyone. I want to be people's man. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to carry on that, uh, the traditional Indian spirituality ahead. I want to, you know, create a spirituality, create a spiritual path that's for everyone. It's it's for homeless also. It's for the multimillionaire also. It's for someone who's vegan. It's also for someone who's not vegan. Uh, so I want the spiritual path for everyone, that everyone has something to take from it and that's another that's a norm i i again try to consistently break to not make myself so rigid that only a certain kind of people can come to me uh, but everybody should be able to come to me and i want to be accessible to everyone 
Now, you mentioned that you were working on Wall Street for a period of time and that your father talked to you about that. Are you sure this is a way that you want to be in life versus a life of service? Talk a little bit about your decision, first of all, to work on Wall Street and then your decision to leave. Right. You know, uh, it was, uh, I wish, I, uh, you know, I had a very powerful explanation of working in Wall Street, but the simple explanation was I just followed a blind rat race, Tammy. There was nothing more more than that. In India, I went to school in India. Uh, I did my college in the U.S., in New York. So in India, you have to pick your major in 11th grade. And I had either option of picking science or engineering or business, three options. I did not like science, did not want to be engineer, so the only option left was business. So I blindly picked that option, and when I came to New York, I just continued that option. I didn't even look at the other options of writing, psychology, philosophy. I blindly picked Wall Street, uh, uh, finance and accounts. And one of the reasons, the motivation that, uh, you know, took me to the four years of college was that I'll make enough money uh, to start my own spiritual mission at one point. Break the Norms was a, it has been a dream since I was in middle school. I have been writing notes about breaking the norms. And I, I was hoping that I'll work in Wall Street for another 10, 10, 20 years. I'll make enough money to start some sort of organization which will, you know, help people or give them a platform of 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 uh, spirituality. That's for everyone. Uh, but it didn't, you know, take me too long to realize that all the money that I will make in Wall Street will be spent on hiring, you know, therapists, gurus, mm-hmm. doctors to fix me because I'll be damaged in those few years of working in Wall Street. So that realization that this was a blind decision, it did not, did not have any mindfulness, any awareness into it. Uh, it was that realization that you know got me out of Wall Street in, 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 within one year after working there. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that I'm really interested in is how we can preserve, if you will, what's really powerful about the teacher-guru, teacher-student relationship whatever word you want to use, teacher or guru, and at the same time, modernize it and empower people in a Western context. And I know you have a lot of your own thoughts about this. Your father was a guru. Your father's uncle was a guru. You don't call yourself a guru, do you? I don't. I I feel it's not for me to, you know, it's not for me to label uh, myself as guru, right? If, If people see myself, see me as guru, that's that's their vision, that's their perspective. I do not call myself a teacher or a guru. I, I, I don't label myself honestly with anything. I, I don't know what my label is. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah. let, let's say we call you a spiritual advisor or guide or spiritual friend to people. Right. What do you think is important about the relationship with people that work with you that you've inherited from your Indian background? And what do you think needs to be modernized, Americanized, if you will? I feel, you know, surrendering is the most important element in this relationship. I remember when I, you know, I mean, I've always uh, had a father, but when my father became my guru, uh, the surrendering was needed. And that surrendering didn't happen very easily because as a father and son, we have, we have our own opinions. We still have our own opinions. We still have our own point of views. Uh, 
but when he became my teacher when he accepted me as as a student it was a huge honor for me uh, that you know I, he has accepted me as a student and i realized all he wanted or he want, still wants from me is surrender surrendering of my ego surrendering of my trust and that trust and surrendering takes you a long way uh, and that's what i've seen in my journey also you know people who work with me i feel if those who can surrender and trust me completely uh i feel i'm able to give them a lot and it's not for me to give them i i feel there's a there's an energy that channels through me then uh, because i i feel who am i to really guide them who am i to really uh, you know heal them uh, there's a higher force higher than me higher than you that that you know talks through us that guides through us and i truly feel when they surrender when they trust me completely that higher force that grand scheme of universe it channels through me to guide them so i i do not take their trust for granted i do not take their surrendering for granted um, you know if you come across 100 people there might be only one or two who can surrender to that level because i think uh, i've seen that in eastern culture and it's it's huge uh, problem in western culture also that surrendering comes with a lot of uh challenges for people they are not able to surrender because they have been betrayed by you know mm-hmm. their loved ones they have been uh, misused by their you know closest people in life and that trust does not come easily and i tell them don't try too hard to trust me to love me to surrender to me uh just allow yourself to relax and when you relax enough uh, hopefully uh, that heart will open and when the heart opens then you'll just know Mm-hmm. But you know, Chandrash, it's, I don't think it's just that people have a hard time trusting because of how they've been hurt or betrayed in their family of origin. I think there have been so many stories of how spiritual teachers have betrayed trust in students in various ways through sexual scandals and power and money scandals. That seems very hard to say you want me to surrender. How do I know I'm not surrendering to your power trip? Right. I mean, it's a very honest problem. It's a very genuine problem it and it, it it doesn't seem to find any end uh, i mean every now and then i i mean uh, you wouldn't even know the scandals that continue to be in india i mean as we speak today there's a big court hearing in india about a huge guru who who's going through a rape allegation and he might be uh, convicted today so there's a that's that's a problem that just never seems to stop i i feel there's a Uh, there's a responsibility that spiritual gurus obviously need to take and i feel uh, when you ask me do you call yourself guru and i said i do not ca- call myself it's not for me to call myself a guru because i feel that title that label is given to you by others and how you use it or how you abuse it it's totally up to you and when you when people start looking at you as guru you have to remain so humble you have to remain so surrendering and it's for people also to understand one thing that being spiritual doesn't mean that you become red carpet for others including your guru you have to be careful in that you have to be so conscious in that moment that is your guru possessing you is your guru trying to control your journey because in my experience authentic guru does not control your journey authentic guru does not make you depend on him or her you know he, the authentic guru gives you the wings to fly to fall 
but it doesn't tell you that you have to depend on me. I remember when I started my journey, my father told me one thing. He said, if if you have a student or a client who's coming to you for, for one problem, and if that same client is coming to you for the same problem even two years from today, that means you have failed to heal him, and it's your responsibility to tell him that I cannot heal you, I cannot guide you, and you, ha- you, know, you have to move on uh, from me, and you have to let go of that power that comes with this journey. And because of the same reason, I got my first mantra five years after I was initiated as, as a student. And I didn't, didn't know why my father made me wait for so long. And I, I used to complain to my mother that I think dad is just giving me hard time. And, uh, but the truth was he wanted me to value this journey so much that I never, ever take it for granted. Uh, and he made me wait for little things for so long that at this point... I feel incredibly honored that people even look at me as a spiritual friend, that people even trust me for their deepest problems. Uh, so I, I feel it's, it's a mutual mutual uh, uh, conscious call. Uh, it's a call from the guru that you have to honor this role given to you. And it's also for the students who come to the gurus because sometimes students are such a in such a need for the gurus. They, they are so spiritually depending on that shoulder that it makes them blind. Mm-hmm. There's a mantra uh, that Buddha used to you know, have. It's called Apo Diva Bhava, which means be your own light, which means take the guidance of gurus, but also nurture your own light. And the true guru will help you nurture your own light. In my experience, that's what my gurus have given me. They have given me the power to find my own path. And that's what I continue to give to my students and if I come across a teacher or a guru, which I have, by the way, in my journey, I have come across gurus who who have tried to control my journey, who have tried to make me depend on them, who have tried to bring fear in my journey. And it's a clear sign that they are trying to just abuse this relationship when they try to bring fear, possessiveness, control. And when they tell you you're not good enough, you're not strong enough and you need me, that's a clear sign that this is not the right guru. Uh, and I've written a whole chapter in the book, by the way, about gurus, because I just couldn't avoid it. It's such a relevant problem. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. in your book, Break the Norms, you talk about questioning everything and seeing what's really right for you. And, you know, I know in my own life there are certain cultural norms that I've had to break, and some of them were pretty tough. And I'm curious right. to know, if in your experience, when has the most been on the line for you in terms of breaking from social norms? When was there the greatest risk? Uh, greatest risk. Or I you think, perceived it to be so. When was I it the hardest? When I'll, I'll tell you, I remember, I mean, there, there have been a couple of moments, but the norm of just sticking to a normal job uh, and doing, uh, that was the norm that my culture wanted me to follow. All my friends, they went to study, you know, medical and engineering. My relatives, their kids, all of them were, you know, going into very higher studies of medical science and engineering. And I remember when I chose this path, or when I when I would even talk about choosing this path, it would bring very angry reactions from everyone, not from my parents, but from every other person that I knew. Uh, and they would, you know, completely attack me that, uh you cannot be doing this. You have to have a good job. You cannot be 
you know, uh, damaging your parents' expectations. There were people, Tammy, whom I considered my heroes, my idols in my life. I grew up watching them. I admired their success. They inspired me to be the person I'm today. And they were they were also the ones who would tell me, you are going into a wrong path. Writing doesn't bring you money. Uh, spiritual work doesn't bring you money. How could you just spoil your life like this? You're not a bad student in school, so you get good grades, and you cannot be doing this. And it was a very harsh attack, and I faced a lot of that bashing. And there was only one person who, who stood by me, and that was my guru, my father. He he continued to give me that hope, that courage, and he would tell me, I warned you, <laughs> it's not easy path. <laughs> so this is, this is part of the package. And just breaking that norm of just being myself, uh, that I, I don't have to live a life that, you know, uh, others, uh, you know, uh, do not understand. I mean, I, I could live a life that other, others don't understand. This whole mantra was very difficult for me to process and live uh, because Indian culture is, is pretty strong when it comes to, you know, living up to your society's expectations. Um, and I grew up in that culture. And uh, being this spiritual teacher, and that too, at, at the age I started, I started when I was 22. And uh, it wasn't the age that people were expecting me to do this. Uh, so that has been the greatest risk, that what if I, I fail in this? What if all of this is just a infatuation with spirituality? Uh, but I'm glad it, it didn't turn out to be infatuation. And it continues to you know take my journey into a very meaningful direction. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that, Chandrash. You write in Break the Norms that the approach to spirituality that resonates with you the most is the tantric approach, and that there's a lot of confusion in our contemporary world about what is tantra. Is it just about having, you know, spiritual sex, or is there something deeper? And you describe that it's yes, a much deeper and wider path, the tantric path. What's your understanding of tantra? Uh, my understanding from tantra, you know, started when I was, when I didn't even know this is tantra, because my grandfather, he was a very renowned tantra guru. My father is a very respected tantra teacher. So I didn't even know tantra is connected to sex until I came to U.S. And I remember in college, my professors would ask me, uh, that what kind of spirituality you have learned, and I would, you know, say tantra, and they would just look at me with a with a gaze that I would find uncomfortable, mm-hmm. or sometimes too comfortable, you know. But but it it wasn't it wasn't just normal reaction. And I remember you know doing a Google search on tantra, and I what I saw was just soft porn and all sexuality stuff would show up, and I realized wow. So everybody here thinks tantra is all about acrobatic sexuality. So my understanding of tantra is. Tantra is a technique of self-realization, and it's one of the most uh, open, safest, and practical uh, signs of spirituality. Tantra does not tell you to renounce this world and uh, and become in a certain way to be spiritual, but Tantra says whatever you are, however you are, that's enough for you to find your spirituality. We will work with your anger, greed, ego, desires. You don't have to suppress them. You don't have to 
kill them and we will be able to transform whatever you have into higher consciousness and for me that was very powerful that i do not have to suppress myself i do not have to be spiritual or or be spiritual in a way that others want me to i could be whoever i am and still there's a way to find my spiritual truth and i i also feel this has a lot to do with the family genes you know the dna the whole our whole seven generations have been into tantra so it, uh, and it it was such a natural attraction and love for toward tantra and the more i started learning and the more i started understanding that tantra is such a important need for today's you know spirituality where people constantly feel that in order to be spiritual i have to behave in a certain way i have to Uh, eat a certain kind of food or have to meditate in a certain way but tantra is such a flexible you know uh, art of uh, spirituality it 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 simply accepts you as you are and then it it says you know add meditation with whatever you are doing and that's how we can take you from here to the higher consciousness and sex is just a 5% part of it you know not more than that and the rest of the parts include anger greed ego basically everything that a human being goes through tantra could make use of everything that you are and yeah sorry what you were saying oh, well i wanted to ask you to take a specific example we could take anger or greed or both someone who says you know these are things i experience and i think they're unspiritual parts of me that I want to somehow change but then I feel bad about them. Let's take greed. That's one that I'm particularly interested in. Right. I mean I I would say greed and desires that these were two things I witnessed a lot during my time in Wall Street. There was a huge greed, a huge desire to just be more and more and more successful. and how and i still continue to come across people in in la and new york everywhere else who are finding this challenge of greed and and just desires dominating them so i always feel there's there's a conscious greed there's impulsive greed there's a conscious desire there's impulsive desire so tantra helps your impulsive desires and impulsive greed into a more conscious and more conscious desire for example i could be having greed 10 years ago to be an author to be successful to be ambitious and probably there was this ambitiousness that took me into uh, you know wall street also that i want to be popular i want to be uh, you know i want to have the name and fame but when i got into meditation that that same impulsive greed which was arising from society ego condition patterns the same greed started you know transferring itself into a more conscious greed into a more uh into more less aggressive or almost no aggressive greed and it had elements of love and contribution to the society and there was a greed in me to offer something to the world which which inspired me to create break the norms which inspired me to write the book break the norms and there's a still in greed there's still greed in me to serve more and more people to take my work to you know far and wide and i meditate on it consistently that my greed should be able to bring more healing to people and if i write 10 more books 20 more books or even one more book it has to come out of that conscious greed of serving people does it make sense it does it's a beautiful example i wonder if you'd also take us through the same process of moving to consciousness with something like anger with anger you know i have i have very close experience with anger because i was very angry person you know many years ago uh 
when I was growing up in India, I always had problems with authority. From the local cops to the school principal, uh, I have had problems with everyone. I never had problem with the you know children of my age because I thought they're not worth fighting. I want to pick bigger fights. So I would pick fights with the cops, the principal, the teachers. And anger was something I almost felt, you know, proud that I'm angry and I'm I'm proud of it because somehow it would make me feel powerful. And something started happening when I when I got into Tantra, when I got into meditation. I started getting more angry toward the way society was uh, functioning, toward the way society was objectifying women, toward the way society would exploit the weaker, and toward the way, you know, we have been dividing the whole world into, you know, religion and creating conflicts between, uh, you know, among the people, the taboos of relationships, death, sex, sex, ego. I started getting angry toward all of these things, and it was the anger that inspired me to do what I'm doing today. People ask me, uh, you know, what inspired you to create, you know, break the norms? What inspired you to become this teacher? Was it, you know, compassion? Was it a certain enlightened moment overnight? But the truth is, I was just very angry with the way things were working. And my anger, it transformed into something higher. It transformed into something higher consciousness. And that that made me the person I am today. And even now, the articles I write, the next book I'm working on, the Instagram post I like, eight out of eight out of those ten posts are inspired from my anger toward the way things are happening, towards the way gurus are exploiting the world, toward the way people are seeing their life in such a tiny, you know, lens. And it makes me angry that this this is not normal and why we are not correcting it. I mean, when I got into L.A., uh, people still ask me why someone like you is living in Hollywood. You should be in a nice, you know, mountain area where there's no one and you could be just in your peace. And I tell them, L.A. made me angry when I first came there. I saw the the billboards, the posters of, you know, the women there, and they are literally being sold in the name of strip clubs and tons of other, you know, crazy stuff happening there. And no one is doing anything about it. It just seems so normal. Uh, and I was angry, and I, I decided that, you know what, I'm going to stay here, and I hope one day I can just, you know, shut the business of all of these strip clubs because I feel this is taking the sexual energy to its lowest level, and it's not supposed to be that way. It's objectifying women in the most ugly and cruel way. And that may, still makes me angry, But uh, and that's my effort. I mean, I feel... What I'm doing today, hopefully one day it will add up enough that it will give me a voice to shut down all of these these conditionings, these brutal things happening out there. So I, I'm still angry person, but my anger has gone into a different you know consciousness now, and it inspires me every single day mm-hmm. to fuel my mission. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad I asked you about that. And what I understand from what you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that a tantric approach to working with either anger or greed or anything we're experiencing would be to find the energy in it and how that energy could be liberated for something good, for something positive for others. Absolutely. And uh, as you start to meditate... Uh, there are ways that this energy will transform into something more meaningful. You don't have to try for it. You cannot try for it, honestly. But as you meditate, it just starts to happen effortlessly. It's the I, I feel it's maybe 
sort of a spiritual law that the universe starts to nurture you, it starts to guide you when it sees that you are working toward your anger. You need that love, you need that support, so you start getting that support. Interesting. I'd, I'd like you to even take me into that a little bit more, how you would meditate with your anger and how that transformation process felt inside you, how you tracked it inside you. I'll give you again my example. Sure. Uh, when, I mean, when I still get angry or when I used to be angry before, instead of, so this was, by the way, a very childhood routine of me. My first experience of anger was that, you know, I wanted something from toy store and mom, dad wouldn't, you know, buy me that stuff. So what I would do, I would lock myself in the in the family meditation room and I would start meditating because I had seen the gurus, the masters in real life and in TV and in Indian movies that the gurus just meditate when they're angry and they just channel their anger into some cosmic meditative vibe. And I did not, didn't know anything about it as a kid, but it just looked very fascinating. So I would, I started meditating every time I'm angry and I would lock myself, Tammy, for hours. My grandma like had to, she would get panicked, she would knock the room and she would request me to come out. We will buy you the toy. Please stop meditating. <laughs> and I thought, this is what you do when you're angry. You just close your eyes and you start taking deep breaths. And that innocent, unconscious act, it prepared me for the higher amounts of anger that were coming my way. And as I grew, you know, a teenager and post-teenage in my early 20s, every time I'm angry, I look at my anger as a symptom that anger is not the problem. The problem is why I'm angry. What is the root of this anger? So I have to first diagnose the root of my anger. Why? Once the why is answered, then I would just meditate. And uh, and where do I feel this anger? Is it on my heart? Is it in my head? Is it in my entire body? Is it in my lower chakras? Where exactly is this fear, this anger coming from? And then it, I just start taking deep breaths. And I, I could use a mantra. If, you know, if, if one has a mantra, they could use a mantra. Or if they don't have mantra, simply breathe in, breathe out. And start to trust your awareness and start trusting that it will point you to the right direction where exactly this anger is stored up and doing it consistently will start to open up that part of your body will start to open up that energetic blocked part and things will start to heal and you know melt and they will start to transform into something meaningful it's a it's a daily practice but with the right guidance with the right discipline you would transform your anger into something you know higher and trust me Tammy this anger is such a deep part of our conditioning it it does take a while to re, you know rewire that conditioning to break that conditioning uh, but it's worth it totally You're listening to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. We welcome you to learn more about our collection of more than a thousand learning programs and receive three free gifts just for visiting us. Go to soundstrue.com backslash free. That's soundstrue.com backslash free. And now back to Insights at the Edge.
Now, you mentioned the possibility, in addition to people working with meditation and breathing, people could work with a mantra. And you also talked about how you like to be available as a spiritual friend, a teacher to anyone and everyone. And I'm wondering, is there a mantra that you can offer to people for anyone who's listening if they want to experiment working with a mantra? You know, if, uh, if you're beginning your journey, I would say stick to what I call bija mantras. Bija means seed. So seed mantras are for everyone. And seed is, you know, it's very little, but it has the potential to become into a big tree. So there are many seed mantras. And one of the seed mantras that I recommend is Soham Namaha. Soham Namaha simply means I am. And it's a mantra to understand and recognize who are you in your consciousness, who are you beyond your labels. And Soham Namaha is something I I also teach during my talks in L.A. I do a weekly meditation in L.A. And I make it a practice that everybody collectively chants Soham Namaha. And then they silently go into it. In my experience, this mantra alone, it, it has a lot of power to break your labels, to relax your anxiety, and to bring out uh, your true self. So, yeah, if there's one mantra in Sanskrit, I'll give Soham Namaha. And for those who don't want to, you know, do Sanskrit mantras and who find it comfortable to do English uh, phrasing, I would say, who am I? That's another powerful mantra, which in my experience, it has given people a lot of healing. Who am I is a mantra to question your labels, to witness your labels and stories. And I feel it's pretty powerful as well. Now, here's a quote from Break the Norms. You write, my life's work is not about finding the answers to questions. It's about building the courage to question. So I really liked that. And I wanted to ask you a couple things about that quote. The first is, what do you mean by courage in terms of what builds courage? What has built courage in you? I think for me, courage has played a very important role. I always saw myself as a person who didn't have enough courage. You know, I grew up, uh, I grew up in a culture among around the around very successful people. It could be my family, could be you know friends or clients of my father, and I wanted to be, I aspired to be one of them. And I always felt I don't don't do not have enough courage to be one of them, and. Uh, when I started moving into my journey, I I didn't didn't I always felt a misfit. I never, when my friends would play out, I would meditate. I never felt part of them ever. I never felt comfortable in crowds and in in, so, in socializing. My love, my passion was always into spirituality, and you know the courage to just be who I am. It was just too big for me. I, I couldn't break that that mold that was, you know, that was built around me, that generation son of this great guru. He has to behave in a certain way. Oh, he has to be so successful. And I tried living their script of life for, for me. Uh, it took me many years to find my courage to, to just be who I am. And I realized I'd never want to be someone else's idea of success. I'd rather be my own failure. I'd rather be my own success. And I, I'm still working on that. I'm still, there are many things I want to do. There are many uh, layers I want to shed. And I, I feel it will happen in its own time. But uh, 
I, I do feel uh, there, there has been a lot of courage that has come my way. And meditation has been a huge part in building up that willpower, that courage. And those who are listening, I, I want to tell this to everyone. Do not think that courage means uh, fearlessness. Courage does not mean the absence of fear. Courage simply means that you continue to walk your talk, you continue to walk your path in spite of having the fears. Because fear is natural. You shouldn't suppress it. You cannot eliminate that from your life. It will always be there. But courage is acting, you know, acting uh, for your path, acting for your truth in spite of having that fear. Does it make sense, Tammy? It, it does. I think it's a very important point that courage yeah. has to do with walking forward anyway, even if you're afraid. Right. Now, what was the connection, Chandrash, in your experience between your meditation practice and this increase in courage in your life? I mean, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be even one percent of the person I am if I wouldn't, if I, I wasn't a meditator. Uh, I don't have. I, I think there are few. You know, there there are feelings in, in the world which cannot be put into words. Meditation, for me, is one of those feelings. Uh, I don't know what really happened. It blocked, probably it blocked, uh, it, it, it shed a lot of my conditioning. It unblocked a lot of my fears, a lot of my uh, self-doubts, and it just started bringing me more and more courage because uh, I, I also realized I didn't have to the, uh, the truth I was chasing, the happiness I was chasing, the courage I was chasing, it wasn't somewhere far. It was always within me, but I wasn't ever able to experience it because of the self-doubt, the fear, the consistent need of seeking approvals from others. Meditation started giving me that strength, that that uh, fearlessness, that just ability to just speak my truth. And there's you know a particular meditation for that, uh, the third eye ch chakra, the chakra between your eyebrows. That's the central point for your higher consciousness. That's the point for your willpower, your courage. And I highly recommend everyone, those who are, you know, those who have problem with speaking your truth, living your truth, and finding your courage, start to meditate more and more on your third eye. Uh, and that simply means you breathe in, breathe out for a good few minutes and then take your awareness on third eye and stay there. And you could use the mantra that I just you know, recommended, Soham, Namaha, or I am. But third eye does have the ability to bring you more intuition, more courage. In my experience, it transformed my complete existence it, and it continues to do so. So in meditating on the third eye, you're recommending that people keep their attention right at that center between the brows and breathe in and out at that point? Just keep their attention there? Keep their attention there. And after a while, drop that attention. Let's say if you're meditating for 20 minutes, for the first 10 minutes, keep attention on the third eye. And then in the uh, last 10 minutes, just drop that attention and let your awareness take you wherever it wants to take you. It's it's got to be effortless, you know. The more efforts you make, the the more you will miss. Hmm. So you're saying if you want to spend ten minutes or so efforting, make sure you spend the second ten minutes in an effortless way of just being with whatever Absolutely. the energy is. Absolutely, you have to be just free and raw in your experiences. Even in my talks and in in my public meditations, I tell them that do not 
come here every Sunday. Do not see me every week because I do not want you to depend on my meditations. Guided meditation is not what I want you to nurture. I want you to, you know, create your own raw and free experience in your spiritual journey. So practice more and more effortlessness in your meditation. Okay, now I said I wanted to talk to you about both courage and questions. And I found an article that you wrote, Chandresh, on 21 questions for a spiritual seeker. And I thought, there are some great questions here. So I want to talk to you about a couple of them. One of the questions, how do I want to be remembered? When I read that question, I thought, that is a really good question. And it also inspired me. What's your answer to that? Uh, I, I don't remember. I, I remember that article. I think it's a pretty old article that you that you picked. <laughs> Right. Well, it's it's something very close to my heart. Uh, how do I want to be remembered? You know, you're the second person to ask me this on the same day. And nobody has asked me this question in the past one year, I think. Well, I but hope you're going to live a long, long time. And that's just a weird coincidence. Right. Uh, I feel and I, I'll give you the answer that I gave to that person. Uh, I, I want to be remembered as a man who lived beyond the labels. Uh, I do not want to be remembered as someone who who lived his labels, but someone who broke the labels, who broke the norms, and who who had the courage to go beyond the labels of society. Uh, Labels limit me. That's what I've realized in the last five to seven years since I've started this this journey as a a professional, I, I would say. So I don't want to be limited in my labels. I want to be remembered as a man of no labels. And then another question that you recommended for spiritual seekers, what is my deepest fear? Uh, well, you're, you're really... These are your very... questions, Chandrash. You, you're the one who wrote the article. You asked them. I'm just putting them back at you. I also thought that was very interesting. Right. My deepest fear, uh, let's say, uh, okay, let's see. Deepest fear is, is that I hope I always remain honest and disciplined in this path. Uh, discipline, I think, is, is, is has to be the deepest fear, that I want to remain very honest, honest, innocent, and uh, sincere in this path. I don't, do not want to be corrupted by the power that this, this title gives you. I do not want to be corrupted by the success, the, the fame that this path brings you. So, uh, and I've seen many amazing teachers around me who eventually got corrupted, and they they started finding their attraction toward the name, fame, uh, success, and they lost that that first innocent seed that started this journey for them. Uh, and I've just started my journey, uh, and I, I, I often feel I hope I always remain uh, this innocent, you know, uh, this this hardworking, sincere spiritual seeker in my path i want to you know maintain that 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 love affair i have with this path i don't want to make it into into a dead end relationship it has to remain that consistently evolving affair that's that's i think that's what i would aspire to yeah mm-hmm. Well, when I asked that question of myself, I I didn't think about it too long. I just went with my first gut response, and I got dying. Dying is my greatest fear. And whether whether I think that's a quote-unquote spiritual answer or not, it's what occurred to me when I looked at the question. And then I also realized in preparing for this conversation that in your book, Break the Norms, you have a chapter 
called What About Death? And I thought, well, this is a good time for me to talk to Chandresh about death. You write, the key to acceptance is to understand what death actually is. So let's talk about that. Help me understand what death actually is. Right. And uh, I have to tell you something interesting. When I was submitting the book to you guys, Mm -hmm. I was told to write uh, a simple introduction chapter for the book. But instead, I chose to write death. I wrote the the, uh, death chapter when I first submitted Break the Norms to you Mm -hmm. because it it, it is such a close, uh, you know, subject to my heart, the topic of death, because death is something that it... uh, it influenced and inspired my journey in a huge way. So I grew up in a spiritual family. I always had fun with spirituality. I traveled with my father. I got exposed to many different faiths and religions in India. So spirituality always remained a fun fun exercise, a fun event, fun activity for me until I lost my sister and my best friend in two separate incidents. I was 16 and my sister died, uh, you know, she was sick, and she was 19. She was studying to be a doctor. And when she was sick, uh, I, I I was never worried that something would happen to her because I thought, you know, our family is so spiritual. My father heals so many people. My grandfather healed so many people. We are family of healers. Nothing is going to happen to us. But when she died, it shattered a lot of my blind beliefs about God, spirituality, uh, and lots of other things that I would take for granted. And I, my journey from next morning onward after she died was just different. I, I, I really feel I, I, uh, I, I transformed into a different person from next morning. Uh, I started questioning things. I took my life uh, with a more mindfulness, with a more awareness. I did not take things for granted, and and I thought this experience is now preparing me for something powerful. And three years later, my best friend passed away, and I still don't know how he passed away. There's uh, various, you know, uh, reasons that are, you know, being quoted about his death, but still no one knows, and it was a more shocking death for me, because I was you know, she, my sister was sick for for a long time, but my friend, he wasn't sick. I spoke to him uh, a week ago, his death. He's my childhood buddy. He's, he was like my brother. His death shocked me so much that I remember I stopped going to college. I stopped going to my job. I, I would just sit in Central Park and City, and I would just sit there and do nothing. It just made me numb. It made me so scared also. Um the room where I heard his noise, where I heard his, the news of his death, I did not sleep in that room for six months. It, it shattered me so mm. much. But I, 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 very, I remember after I heard the news of his death, he was in India, I was in New York. The first thing I did after I hanged up the phone, I went to my meditation room, I lit the candle, and I meditated for his soul. That is, may his soul find peace. But uh, uh, it wasn't that easy. Uh, it, it His death took me on a very painful journey. Uh, but that also inspired me to start questioning even more deeper because I thought my sister's death has prepared me uh, enough about the whole concept of death. But it was his death that took me even more deeper. Uh, so it was the death that made me realize life is fragile and everything you're trying to accomplish 
is going to eventually be here. You're not taking anything with you. And birth and death, they are, you know, two sides of the same coin. And you cannot be overexcited about about the birth, and you cannot be so depressed with death. The fear with death is is something that's not normal, and you have to understand that fear. You have to really understand it deeply. And in order to live your life fully, you have to understand death fully. Uh, and uh, it was it was these two deaths that took my spiritual journey on a different plane. I. I literally feel from first floor I jumped to 10th floor immediately after these two deaths because I wanted to seek higher I wanted to you know experience the higher consciousness that what the hell is going on you know people these young people could die and they could die in a family that heals others so it was that realization after seeing death so closely that all of this I'm chasing the Wall Street the name fame the ambition it's useless. It's irrelevant. It can go away any moment. And I need to make the most of my time here. And I think that just inspired me to serve others, to leave Wall Street, to break the norms of my own life and help others also to break the norms. So I, I'm constantly fascinated and I find the whole journey of death very interesting. It it still still keeps me curious it doesn't make me that scary anymore but i'm i'm still curious to experience uh, my own death uh, the death of others around me and i want to i want to prepare myself that when my time comes i'm i hope i'm aware enough to not be afraid to and to accept it fully and uh, to accept it fully i have to accept this moment this life fully as well yeah from your investigation into death what do you think helped relieve this the fear part I, I i used to find it scary that you know people die and what i've realized is it's natural the death and birth they are you know same doors of the of one room from one door you enter and from the other door you leave uh, and it's natural that's one word that i've learned it's just plain natural phenomenon and um, our fear of it comes because we haven't been able to understand it deeply uh, the society creates such a fear and sadness around it and it it creates a very painful vibration around it uh, but in reality that the death it celebrates one's life it celebrates the conclusion of your life so it has to be celebrated uh, but you know how many of us live our life in a celebrative way you know we don't do that so that's why our death is not celebrated because our life has never been celebrated so in order to celebrate death we i think we got to celebrate our life every day in every way possible because then you know when the death will come you will look at it as as a welcoming change and it's not going to look as a depressive event does it make sense it does john dress thank you you know i always want our listeners to take away as much of a working lesson in their own life as they can from each one of these conversations. And when it comes to breaking the norms, I'm curious, how would you direct someone to investigate in their life what might be a norm that it's time for them to break away from? How could they do a sort of self-assessment? This is what I need to do now. I would, you know, those who are listening, I would recommend 
start accepting yourself as you are and understand you are not moving from imperfection to perfection. You are moving from perfection to perfection. The way you are right now is perfectly fine. You are enough the way you are right now. And accept yourself exactly as you are. And secondly, stop chasing the right answers. Stop chasing the path of spirituality to find the right answers because there are no right answers, but there are right questions. And if you ask the right questions, you will come across your answer. My answer is not going to work for you because you will have your own unique answer to your problem. But we, may, we all of us may have one common question. It could be, who am I? What do I want? How do I serve? What are my desires? What are my deepest fears? Like the Tammy, you article, the article you mentioned, uh, 21 questions to ask. So I, I, I do recommend to break your norms, practice self-acceptance, and start asking the right questions in your meditation. That will, that will shift your journey. Okay, I'm going to take it a little further. Let's say someone's listening and say, but I don't accept this thing in myself. I don't accept this part of my current condition. I don't like it. I don't accept it. If if someone uh, says, they do, uh, so you're saying if someone says, I'll, so let's take example of anger, right? So you're saying, I do not accept my anger. Is yeah. that is that yeah. right? Yeah, or I don't so accept. I, would, I don't accept the fact that you know I'm in this job that I don't like, and it's my current situation. Or I don't accept this or that about my life. You're saying you know you're not moving from imperfection to perfection. But somebody says, well, it sure feels imperfect to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when I say you're you are moving from perfection to perfection, and let's say if the person is saying this job doesn't feel perfect to me, so I would simply say it's a you know. Your job is not your journey. It's it's just a tiny part of your journey. Do not define your life through your job. And if you feel this job is not giving you happiness, of course, leave that job. But do not let that job uh, diminish your self-image. If you are feeling you are imperfect in this job, th- that means you're letting this job or this story define you. But you have a story, but you are not your story. Do not let your labels define you. Uh, so... If you are, by self-acceptance, I mean accept your anger, accept your ego, accept your desires, accept every single element in your journey. And when you practice complete acceptance, then even the elements that are causing you trouble, they will start to transform because you cannot change your enemy. You can only change your friends. I cannot change you if you are my enemy, but if I make you my friend... I can change you. I can inspire you. So these energies of you, it could be your anger, could be your inability to love, could be anything that's not, that you feel is not helping you anymore. Be friends with it. You know, work with your demons. And then they will start to, you know, transform themselves. But you cannot hate them. You cannot be angry with them. That's not going to change them. Mm-hmm. Does, does it make sense? That does. Now, Chandras, the foreword to your book was written by His Holiness Dalai Lama. And right. I'm curious as a final question, how did His Holiness the Dalai Lama come to write the foreword to your book? Uh, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful to His Holiness, uh, obviously. I remember when I was working with Jennifer, the editor from Sounds True, she told me, she said, Chandresh, now this is the time you make your dream list for you know the people you want in your book, the people that you want to write forward or to write anything else, 
and i had this you know list of people in my mind but when she said dream list i remember i i spoke to my father and i said you know she mentioned dream list and he said who's in your dream list i said uh, dalai lama he's in my dream list and he said chandresh you're writing your first book you are inspiring people to break the norm you are inspiring people to live live their purpose so you have to take your own medication now use your energy use your passion to manifest this and uh, you know this will be a good test if you can manifest dalai lama for your for your book and um, i'm i'm uh, i i feel it's it's a complete blessing and gift that he wrote the forward he hasn't written a forward in many many years uh, but i i i i uh, grew up in his hometown you know my hometown and his hometown in india is is just an hour away so i i have been there many times i've played there as a kid and i remember when i reached out to his office uh they did not rejected the idea for you know and they accepted the idea that i want him to you know uh, just bless my book that's the word i've always used that i want you to bless this book uh and they said you know send us you know what whatever you have written so far and i used to write for times of india and his articles also used to come in times of india there there was a column called speaking tree it had only 140 spiritual teachers he was one of them i was also in those i was honored to be in those 140 spiritual teachers so that was a great reference point and he knew about my lineage uh, their office knew about my spiritual lineage that helped and when they saw the book i remember uh, and he wrote that in the, in the book also uh, that what i'm doing is what buddha did in his time he broke the norms he he taught people to question rightly and when i when i saw this in my forward i was numb for many days that he compared my journey to that of buddha's journey uh, it's it's his choice that he chose to write the forward i didn't i didn't asked for that i asked for just one one line on the book and that line could have been great book buy this book <laughs> great guy anything anything that he wanted to uh, write but he chose uh, i mean who am i to force him to write a forward or one liner uh, i got the news that he he he's uh, he, he's going to write the forward and when do you need it and i told them i i can i can delay the book for 3 years if he's if he wants to write it in next 3 years uh but it just happened i guess uh it 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 gave me so much uh, strength so much encouragement uh that my work is honored by such a great teacher and this is the reason i took i'm taking my time to write the next book because i do not want to just just start the next book because i again would want you know blessings of of dalai lama or and other teachers in the second book and i want to be as honest as passionate as i was in the first book and i feel it the honesty the the passion for break the norms that's what attracted and got me blessings of dalai lama i've been speaking with chandrash bardwar he's the author of the book break the norms questioning everything you think you know about god and truth life and death love and sex chandrash i've enjoyed talking to you so much i love your passion your good heart and your spirit of service it's really been an honor to talk to you thank you so much thank you tammy i mean i have done so many podcasts in last 2 years but this was one of the most heartwarming experience and i i knew, I, I was expecting 
something like this honestly from you. I when I see you, I, you remind me of my school teachers from India. It's just your aura. <laughs> it's it's a it's an aura of kind and tough teacher, <laughs> and which, which which makes me think of my teachers from India. But I was expecting that this this, this will be one of one of the most heart heartwarming experiences. But thank you for taking me there. Thank you. Soundstrue.com. Many voices, one journey. Thanks for listening.